Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the joy and privilege it is to meet together as your people. And we pray now as we turn to this part of Scripture uh, that you will help us to learn from it. Uh, In particular, we will not walk away from tonight unmoved by your word, but instead help us to be people who listen carefully, seek to change our minds and our actions in response, and then live out what we've learnt. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not have realised this, but there is a, uh, an election on in a few weeks. Is it, who, who is voting for the first time at this election? We have a number of people in that sort of vote. There you go, your first ever experience of democracy. There you go. Well done. Very good. Who's already a bit bored with the whole election campaign? I was bored before it even began, you know, when they were saying there might be an election. That's when I got bored. But anyway... Uh, I am, just in case you're worried, I'm not going to give any suggestions for how you should vote or anything like that. Uh, I would never tell you who I vote for or who you should vote for. All I would encourage you to do is uh, don't vote for yourself. That's all I would encourage you. As Christians, we shouldn't vote selfishly. We shouldn't just vote about what's best for our hip pocket. We should vote for what is best for others and what is best for our society and all that sort of thing. And I'll leave it with you to work out who you should vote for in those circumstances but the reason I bring it up is uh, as this election campaign has gone on and as I listen to the six o'clock news every night I get very very sorry for our politicians I start to feel really really sorry for them for the way people talk about them Uh, a few years not that long ago if they did a thing of you know most trustworthy and least trustworthy uh, positions you could hold politicians weren't the least trustworthy but now they are the top of the list every time and people say politicians they're all liars and I feel really really sorry for them because there's no doubt on many occasions they have lied I'm not that gullible Uh, on many occasions they make a commitment and they have no intention of keeping it in which case I say well we're right to call them liars but I just find it amazing now the way we don't allow for the fact that sometimes circumstances change And so politicians will make a commitment and say, this is my intention, we're going to spend money on this, but then something different happens, but then people say, no, 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 you've got to keep your word, even if it means the country goes bankrupt. We don't care, you're a liar if you don't keep your word. That's just not how life works. Sometimes you make commitments and things change and you've got to change your mind. I I sometimes wonder, and I've wondered again during this whole campaign, when did Australians become so self-righteous? When did Australians become so judgmental that we, we think that we're not the same and that we would, we would do any better in the same circumstances? And then as I thought about it, in particular as I read the passage this week, I realised it's not a new phenomenon, this sort of self-righteousness, this quickness to judge. Uh, it's been around as long as sinful human beings have been around and it's been a part of Christians, sadly, as long as Christians have been around, we're not immune, because that is exactly what you see happening in tonight's passage. That is exactly the way the Corinthian church treated the Apostle Paul. Uh, You see, one of the differences with 1 and 2 Corinthians, we're looking at 2 Corinthians over this term, uh, as opposed to, say, Romans or Colossians, is you you read Romans and you don't need to know anything about the church in Rome to understand what's going on in the book of Romans. Same with the book of Colossians. Uh, But there are really specific issues that are very specific to the people in Corinth that you need to understand to understand what's going on in 2 Corinthians. And the big issue that had to be dealt with was they really did not like the Apostle Paul. Uh, That is just the big problem they had. They really didn't want to listen to the Apostle Paul and all through 1 and 2 Corinthians they just keep 
questioning his authority. Like he's saying, you're not a real apostle. You're not like Peter. You know, Peter was the one Jesus said, I'm going to build the the church on this rock. Well, you're not like him. You you even used to kill Christians. You know, you're not a real apostle. And And then they said, look, Paul, you're just not very impressive as a speaker. You're a bit ordinary. Like John accused me of being before. You know, he said, they said, you're just an ordinary speaker. You're not very impressive. And these other guys come, we like listening to them, but you're just a bit boring. You might think, anyway, I'll leave that with you. But, uh, and, and then they said, other, other people are coming, Paul, and they've got just a more exciting message than you've got. They, they, they preach a different message to you. And I, I, we prefer their message to the one you keep telling us. But here at this point, their criticism was actually really, really personal. They said, Paul, we don't like you because you're untrustworthy, because you do not keep your word. And so this is Paul's response to their criticism. Now, with that in mind, we might sort of say, well, why do we care about their argument back then? Why do we bother looking at this? This was a fight between them and Paul back 2,000 years ago. Well, the reason is because the Apostle Paul never missed a teaching opportunity. So as he defends himself, which is what he does in this chapter... As he answers their criticism, he also takes the chance to just explain to them some key doctrines, some key principles for understanding the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's get into it. Open up your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going from verse 12. You will really need your Bible open in front of you because it's quite a sort of convoluted little passage at points. So put up your hand now if you missed the first run of Bibles and you need one to look at now. Wake up your hand. And uh, I'll just keep going and Eddie will bring you a Bible. So the first thing I want us to think about is what was their criticism? I've already alluded to it. Uh, Paul had told them after his last visit, because Paul had planted the church in Corinth and he'd gone back there. After his last visit, he said, look, I'm going to come back very, very quickly. I'm going to come back before I go to Macedonia, which is up in the north. I'm going to come back to you in Corinth and deal with some issues before I go anywhere else. But then he'd had to change his plans for various reasons. So instead of coming straight back, as he'd suggested he would, instead he wrote them another letter. And Troy talked about this last week, how not every letter that Paul wrote ended up in the New Testament. Some of them, and I think like this letter, people might have just taken out the back and burnt. Uh, It was such a strong letter and it was so negative about the Corinthians. So we have one and two Corinthians, but there was this other letter Paul calls his sorrowful letter because he hated writing it. Uh, And so he wrote them that letter and said, look, I've got to go up to Macedonia. I'm not coming back right now. And you can piece all this together if you just read the book of Acts and read the letters of Paul. You can work all this sort of stuff out. But for the Corinthians, as soon as Paul said, I'm not coming back, there was no desire at all to find out why. There was no desire, oh, I wonder what's happened to Paul. I wonder if everything's all right. None of that. It was just, you're untrustworthy. We don't like you anymore. And to them, this just confirmed that Paul was not a man of his word. So they said, you're worldly rather than spiritual. You follow worldly wisdom rather than godly wisdom. Now, before we get to Paul's response, I think there is a gentle rebuke for us there. There's a gentle rebuke because Paul had really good reasons to change his plans. If you read the book of Acts, you'll discover he was nearly killed in Ephesus. He was run out of town. So he was running for his life. So you don't sort of say, oh, I'm going to just turn around and head back to Corinth now as you're trying to escape your life. And then God told him, I want you to go to Macedonia. That's a pretty good reason to go to Macedonia instead. It wasn't like Paul just made this decision lightly. It wasn't like he just said, oh, I don't like the Corinthians, I'm not going back there. If they just listened rather than jumped to judgment, 
they could see that he actually did what was best for them and he did what was best for the gospel that was what always what motivated him but don't we just do that all the time maybe I should just talk about me and not you you might all be perfect in this regard but we we assume we know the facts and then we jump to judgment of other people we just assume we know everything and then we just judge people and write them off on the basis of our first impressions rather than asking questions and actually looking to show grace and trying to be generous and think the best of people and then even if our first impressions are proved right often then we're sort of happy about it we're happy yeah they are just what I thought they were I always knew that person was untrustworthy you know and we take joy in being proven right instead of still showing grace I always like to think just imagine if God judged us as quickly as we sometimes judge each other just think about that for a moment and then think about being judgmental there's a place for judgment there's a place for a challenge for a rebuke and Paul is about to do it to these Corinthians but always be slow to speak and quick to listen slow to judge and quick to ask questions quick to show grace slow to form opinions that's godliness but that's an aside now let's get into the passage so this passage is Paul's response to that criticism it's his defense if you like so let's look from verse 12 he says for this is our confidence the testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with God-given sincerity and purity not by fleshly wisdom but by God's grace now Paul is answering their criticism he'll explain himself later he'll give all the reasons he didn't come but here he's actually just making a wonderful statement of principle and I've got sort of three lessons for us to take from this passage and this is the first if you're a note taker he's saying I will listen to your criticisms but ultimately what matters is not what you think of me it's what God thinks of me that's the first principle he says it's not what you think of me that matters it's what God thinks of me that matters I judge myself by God's opinion not by your opinion so I've tested my conscience and I am certain that what I've done was driven by godly sincerity and not by worldly desires or wisdom so I'm not that worried about what you think of me and so he says in verse 13 look there he says now we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand I hope you will understand completely as you've partially understood us that we are your reason for pride as you are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus that's very convoluted what's that all about we say well in all these letters I've been writing you the previous letters in this one I've tried to explain myself really simply and really clearly and so I hope that as you read this you will understand that I was doing it for your good and he says I hope you understand because when Christ returns and you can judge my motivations you can judge why I did what I did and what I did well on that day my prayer is you'll actually be proud of me you won't judge me like you used to do you'll be proud of me and he says and my prayer for myself is that I'll be proud of you because of the way you respond to this letter but back to the big point he's making and that is in the end it doesn't matter what you think of me it's what God thinks of me that matters I judge myself by God's opinion not yours now that is a wonderful principle to live your life by I care what God thinks of me it's also a very very dangerous principle to live your life by you see we need to be very careful 
with that principle, don't we? Because we can very easily abuse it. And I abuse it all the time and I hear other people abusing it all the time. My conscience tells me that what I am doing is right. So don't you dare question me. It's between me and God. So don't you dare tell me what to do. See, I've lost count the number of times people pretend that they are acting in line with their conscience when actually they've hardened their conscience to trick themselves into believing what they're doing is okay. And so they refuse to be challenged about their ungodliness. You see, our conscience is marred by sin. Your conscience is not an infallible guide. It's not the word of God. And we can trick ourselves into thinking all sorts of things are perfectly okay to do that the word of God doesn't agree with. You see, we need to allow God's word to shape our conscience, to challenge our conscience. We need to listen to godly advice from other people that comes from God's word and sometimes hear rebukes. So Paul's point here is not, I'll do whatever I feel like doing and you don't ever have the right to challenge me. That's not his point. It's not, let your conscience be your guide. That's Disney. That's not the gospel. His point is, after you have looked at God's word, and after you've listened to godly advice, then try to act in line with it. And don't care what other people think about you, just care what God thinks about what you're doing. So he's saying to them, even if you don't like it, and even if you don't understand it, my conscience is clear, and I pray you'll understand that in the end. But now Paul takes the chance in answering their criticism to teach them two more wonderful truths about God. And these are the second and third things I want us to learn from tonight. So look with me at verses 15 and 16. We're just going to scan down those. That's where he sort of gives his travel itinerary and explains where he went and why he didn't come back. Uh, But that didn't happen. So then he asks them, verse 17, he says, So when I planned this, was I irresponsible? That is, Was I just sort of saying, oh, whatever, I don't care about my word? And he says, well, what I plan, do I plan in a purely human way? So that I say, yes, yes, and no, no, simultaneously. So he's saying, if that's what I did, then I'm ungodly. That is ungodly. To say yes when you really mean no is ungodly. When I ask people here at church and I say, hey, are you you able to come and help with the prayer meeting on Wednesday? And people go yeah yeah and then they don't come that's ungodly you've lied at that point if if you if you had no intention of coming you just thought I really don't want to get into a conversation with Phil about how I like sleeping in on Wednesday mornings so I'm just going to say yes even though I mean no Christians are people of their word didn't we learn that in the book of James in term one in our gospel teams let your yes be yes let your no be no but sometimes you will say yes and you say yeah I am going to be at that prayer meeting on Wednesday morning And then something happens and you can't be there. Outside, things outside your control will mean you don't do it. We are not God. We're not all present. We're not all knowing. So sometimes we will say yes with every good intention, but then God has other plans for what's going to happen that day. But, and this is where he jumps to teaching that second really vital thing, lesson I want us to get from this, something even more important. And that point is, whether I am faithful or not, even whether the Apostle Paul is faithful or not, God is faithful. Whatever you think about my yes and my no, whatever you say about my faithfulness, what I really want you to know is that our God is faithful. Look at verse 19. He says, For the Son of God 
Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, a final yes has come in him. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, the Amen is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. Now, you might have got lost in all the commas and things there. But what's he saying there? Well, first thing is, he is explaining the whole Old Testament there in that couple of verses. If you're doing the intro to the Bible course, a few people are doing the intro to the Bible course, just learn that off by heart and you will pass the intro to the Bible course. There you go, it's the answer. Because he says the whole Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Do you want to know what the Old Testament is talking about? It's talking about Jesus. And every promise that God has ever made from Genesis 1 to Malachi 4... The whole Old Testament, every promise God has ever made comes true in Jesus. Jesus is the yes to all God's promises. Jesus is the centre of all God's plans for all of creation, for all of humanity. But he's not just telling us that for academic interest. So you can say, oh, now I can read my Old Testament and I'll understand it. See, he's saying, I want you to know that because it proves to you that God is absolutely faithful. And this is that key point. God is absolutely faithful. He does not change his mind. There's no vacillating with God. In the end, people will let you down. Every person will let you down. Sometimes because they are sinners who lie to you. That's the reality. But just as often, people will let you down because they are not God. And they are not infallible. And we just don't know everything. So I will let you down at some point. If I have not let you down, let's make an appointment this week and I will leave it. And I'll let you down this week just to prove that I'm not a liar. We'll just do that for you. I will let you down. Your friends here will let you down. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will let you down. Your family will let you down. Your church will let you down. Even the Apostle Paul, if he was still alive, would let you down at some point because we are all sinners and because we are all fallible but here is the key God will never let you down God's yes is yes this is so important because too many people come along and join a church and and I think they actually put their faith in the church or in the preacher And at some point, the church will let you down. The the preacher will let you down. Your Bible study leader will let you down. You see, but Jesus will never let you down. And you see, what happens then is when church does let us down, people throw the lot out and throw out their faith. Our faith needs to be in the God who is faithful. That is who our trust is in, not in other people. God's yes is yes, and he has proven that in Jesus Because all the promises God made from the beginning to the end, every one of them, he has kept his word when he sent his son to be our saviour and to be our Lord. And that is why, if you trust in Christ, and this is the most wonderful truth there is, if you trust in Christ, you can have total assurance. This is the mark of whether you really understand the gospel or not. You see, you sometimes ask Christians and you say, so when you die or when Jesus returns, will you be there in heaven? They go, I hope so. No, 
You will if you trust in Christ. Because it's got nothing to do with how you're feeling. It's got nothing to do with how you've gone that week. It's all to do with what Jesus has done for you. And God is totally faithful. You can have total assurance that there is a place for you in God's kingdom. You can have total assurance that you are forgiven for all of your sin. And the reason we can be certain is because God's yes is yes. And he does not change his mind. Isn't that the most wonderful truth? few people have answered me isn't that the most wonderful truth amen but now Paul goes on to make one last point my last point and I think this is just as mind-blowing that same God has not just been faithful in history he didn't just keep all his promises with Jesus coming and Jesus death and resurrection and then say there you go I've been faithful now you guys do it that's not how it works he is still being faithful to us now look at verses 21 and 22 he says now it is God who strengthens us with you in Christ and has anointed us he has also sealed us and given us the spirit as a down payment in our hearts see God has not just kept his promises he's still keeping them and he is at work in you now if you're a Christian God is at work in you now to strengthen you so that you keep trusting Jesus that's what God is doing right now and it says God has put his seal on you back in olden days we still have this in some of our legal sort of things a wax seal you got hot wax and you put your insignia in it your sign I don't know what you'd come up with whether you'd be a eagle or a goat or whatever you'd be you know whatever your sign and you'd stamp that on the wax and then that would go on the piece of paper and that would say that is Phil's he owns that it's got his wax seal on it well this is saying you have the seal of God on you so it's not some birthmark that you've got to find on your body it's not on your forehead it's not like some stamp on you that seal that deposit is his Holy Spirit if you have God's Holy Spirit in you then God has locked you in he has locked you in you are his and he has said I will keep all my promises to you but some people worry and say do I have the Holy Spirit in me how can I know if I have the Holy Spirit in me well it's very very simple do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God please answer these questions in your head do you believe he died for your sins do you believe he rose from the dead and have you repented of being the lord of your own life and turned and said i want jesus to be the lord of my life and so now do you call god your father who loves you if the answer is yes you have god's holy spirit in you and he is at work in you and he will keep you to the end that is the most wonderful promise now of course that's not meant to create a slackness in us now you're not meant to go home tonight and say well I've got the Holy Spirit so I'll see you in 52 years you know and I'll go live however I want that's not the point in fact if you respond like that it suggests you don't have the Holy Spirit in you and I would be worried one of the signs of the Holy Spirit is we grow in love we grow in godliness and we grow in faithfulness now what he's doing here he's using this disagreement with them as a chance to remind them of what really matters and what really matters is God is faithful and if God is for us then nothing can take that away from us 
And I think that's the final lesson from this passage. See, on the one hand, Paul wants to defend himself. Don't we all want to defend ourselves? When someone says something about you, something wrong or right, what do you want to do? You want to, def- you want to explain why they're wrong. You want to defend yourself. Well, Paul wants that. He wants them to listen to them. He's a human being. He wants them to listen to him. He wants them to realise, you're one of Jesus' apostles. We should do what you say. But for him in the end, much more than that, he would rather they go on hating him. He would rather they write him off as long as they keep trusting Jesus and following God. Even if they never like him, in the end, what's more important is that they know that God is faithful. Do you know, that is my prayer for our ministry here as well. We want people to like us, don't we? I like it if you like me. I don't want you to not like me. My pride gets tickled when someone says, that was a really helpful sermon. I I quite like that. It's nice. It's encouraging. But in the end, what I want for you is not to like me. That came out the wrong way. What I want for you, it's irrelevant what you think of the preacher. It's irrelevant what you think of your Bible study. What matters is, do you know that God is faithful? Will you keep trusting Jesus? That is what matters more than anything else. You see, what you must never forget is that God is faithful. So keep trusting him. That is my prayer for every one of us here. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this difficult part of Scripture where we get an insight into the real personality of the Apostle Paul and the conflict he had with this church. But we thank you that it has been kept for us and recorded for us. We thank you for the lesson there is in not being quick to judge. But most of all, we thank you for the lesson in being reminded that God is faithful and that even if people let us down, you will never let us down. Especially, we know that in Jesus, our Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen.